Welcome to Real Talk JavaScript, the weekly talk show with advice and insight into the technologies and practices currently being used to build web applications in the real world. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Wallen, and John Papa talk to industry experts about their experiences writing, deploying, and maintaining web applications in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Real Talk JavaScript. This is episode 66. Vanilla JavaScript and HTML. No frameworks, no libraries, no problems. And my special friend, Ward Bell, is here to join me today. I am feeling special today, John. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So it's just you and I today. So we get to talk about everything or nothing. Or nothing. All at the same time. We could. Actually, our topic today is everything and nothing. And that's because you can really accomplish a ton without actually using any frameworks on the web. And uh, this is something that you and I were just talking about before the show, vanilla JavaScript, like this idea of not pulling in other libraries. Uh, Is it useful? What can you do? Um, Why would you want to do it? And if you do it, what kind of gotchas do you have to worry about? Like, where does this fit into the world? So many questions, so little time. What do you think, Ward? Well, you know, we've been... Uh, chastised by one of our friends who d- refers to all frameworks as, as what does he call them? Mac frameworks? Or? Fast food frameworks, Fast I think. Fast food frameworks. Yeah. And uh, I believe it's Chris Love, right? It is Chris Love. Yeah. What a great name. Um, for a good guy. Uh, he's wrong about this, but good guy. Uh, uh, but he has never stopped beating us over the head with how. Uh, what awful price we're paying for carrying around a framing for dragging around and real developers would write in real JavaScript. So I've always ignored that uh, because it seemed preposterous on its face. But you, John Papa, are willing to um, jump into any muddy puddle you see. I do. You know, I was one of those kids who would literally be like, there's a puddle. Let's see how deep it is. And (laughs) this was a fun one to jump into. And I guess first let me explain, I like to talk about not just technology for technology's sake, but why? Like, why did I go down this road of vanilla JavaScript? Well, there's been two things that attacked me recently. Um, The third one was Ward, but uh, let's not talk about that. So the two things that came after me were, I had scenarios where I needed to create an app. Uh, First of all, scenario one was, I need to create an app that would be um, talking about TypeScript, but I didn't want to limit it to using Vue, React, Angular, Ember, Svelte, et cetera, because once you introduce one of those, it kind of limits the audience to be like, I don't really know one of those. So I wanted to write a vanilla JavaScript type of app, uh, and I happened to use TypeScript with it, which was quite simple. We can talk about that too. So that was one thing I did, is just create no libraries, created a UI app. And the second one was I was working with some companies recently, and they needed to... Uh, take they had a bunch of backends and various backend flavors. JSP and ASP were the two prevalent ones, and they wanted to put little bits of uh, front-end framework apps into small pieces of their existing server-side app. And these were literally like just imagine like a small little square on the screen to show like marketing or things like that uh, without loading an entire framework. And therefore, for both these scenarios, I felt like vanilla JavaScript and HTML really fit the bill. Do you have a rebuttal, sir? Well, I certainly understand what you're saying. Uh, you know, if you want to make a point about TypeScript, the minute you pick a framework, you're going to piss off 
two-thirds of your audience. At for least, no, yeah. For no good reason. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I get it. Uh, and, I'm, and because the JavaScript itself is evolving, it's always curious to see just how far can you go before you say, uh, no, give me a framework. So uh, I'm curious, where did you get, you know, how do we think about this, John? And where should and where should people learn about this? Well, I guess let's start there. I'm putting in a couple articles here. Uh, one of them is that we just mentioned Chris Love's article, who's a friend of ours, and we tease, but he's got a good post out there about why frameworks are probably not a good idea. Um, I think it's from 2017. Yeah, and it then is still wrong. <laughs> and then I've got an article here called Vanilla JavaScript, which I will put into the show notes right now while I'm thinking about it. Um, that's up on dev.to or on my blog at johnpapa.net. But where I started war was this. I said, you know, I could just write this TypeScript app in Node and not really have a UI. Or I could use Node and then use something like Pug or whatever to kind of generate the pages. But I felt like, you know, I'm, whatever stuff I add to this, I'm kind of taking away from the concepts of TypeScript. So I wanted to build a very simple browser app that just had one page, and was able to show a list of things and had a decent amount of CSS to not make it look absolutely awful without pulling in frameworks to do everything. Let me guess, you did the heroes. I did a list of heroes more, oh, yes. You are. <laughs> and my heroes go shopping. It's actually a customer and order app, but all the customers are our heroes. Uh, heroes do have to go shopping. They do. And our heroes went shopping for a lot of technology, uh, according to my app. Did they? They did. So I started there, and I'm like, you know, first thing I had to figure out was, what's the bare minimum? Since I was using TypeScript, I needed to compile the TypeScript. And I first started with, do I do this with the, the TypeScript compiler, which you can, or because I was using some SAS, and this is just a preference, I could have used CSS, uh, how do I then build that too? So I actually ended up building a very simple Webpack config, and I know those two words don't always go together, no, they don't. <laughs> and we're already into a framework, I just want to say. And yes. Or a library or something. A I library. Mean, depends on, yeah, a library. And so uh, so by, do, do we need a diversion that, about the difference between library and framework? Or let, let's just let that one lie. Let's let it go, because I think that's just... That's a rabbit That's hole. a deep hole that nobody cares about, including us. Um, but yeah, so I started there with Webpack. So you could say right out of the gate, yeah, I chose TypeScript and Webpack. Did I need them? No, I didn't need TypeScript. Uh, for the one I wanted to show TypeScript, I did. But I chose I wanted to use TypeScript. So even without TypeScript, though, I still needed something to build my app because I wanted to use SAS mm. uh, to put things in. So this was a back-end build tool, and I kind of just said, okay, that's fine. Let's go there. Uh, by the way, I'll put the code up for everybody to look at. But once you get beyond these things, then I got into, I just want to show a list of things on the screen. So how do you show a list of things in a screen when you don't have a framework ward? Uh, you just you just type them right into HTML. You do. You hard code everything. <laughs> yeah, hard code the full list. That's how you do it. And uh, you're done as long as you don't have any changes. And that's a lot of where I started. You know, I, I, I started with um, I wanted to make a network call to get the data. And, you know, so I could have used the fetch API there. Uh, or I could use something like Axios to go get it. Uh, it's up to you. Fetch would be more pure vanilla, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, all right, I go get my data. Now, how do I render it? And this is where it got interesting. I started in my head breaking apart. Well, 
I need to create a UL, and in the UL, I need to create these heroes. Can I stop you for a second, John? Yeah. Because we're talking about JavaScript as if it was one thing. But there are, in fact, flavors of it, right? Uh, you know, there's the really old stuff, then there's ES5 and ES6, and I don't yep. know where we are today. I don't even know if they label them that way anymore. Nope, they uh, have to do by years, yep. Uh, and so... Uh, I mean, TypeScript means that you don't even have to think about this, but if somebody were really trying to avoid that, wouldn't they also have to, uh, they, uh, they would have to make a decision about this and either go real old school or pick one of the ES somethings and then they'd have to use a Babel or something, right? So you're in on the hook. If you want to use modern JavaScript, you're on the hook, aren't you? Yeah, you know, that's a great oh, point. You're, for the most part, I think you're right. Like, if you want to use modern JavaScript and you don't want to worry about what browsers can use your app, uh, you either need to be really careful and like go to a site like caniuse.com, which I just put into our notes, and make sure every feature you're using is supported by the, all the browsers you need to target. Or you could use a tool like Babel.js or uh, TypeScript, which will automatically target the browsers you want, which to me is a much better choice. It feels like it. Um, okay, so so you know we're not your choice of what well, my point is that your choice of uh, TypeScript didn't then lock you into this whole build tool chain because you'd be having one of those for for if you didn't use TypeScript. I think, assuming that you wanted like any normal human being to use the advanced features of modern JavaScript. Yeah, I mean, do you really want to worry about which things are in which browsers all the time? I don't really want to do that. I mean, it's kind of nice to know, but you can. So to me, that's the big advantage of TypeScript or Babel, for that matter. Okay, so we're into that. So, um, so now uh, you just then you're, of course, obviously, if you just wanted a list and you just typed in HTML, you don't need any of this stuff. But now you actually want to have a dynamic list. So what did you do? Yeah, and let's let's pause back on the fetch API because I mentioned that and say, hey, I could use that to go get the data. But even on can I use? I'm looking at that, and it's supported in all the modern browsers except IE, uh, not. To be very clear, that's not the same as Edge. Uh, so IE and Opera Mini do not support it, according to Can I Use. IE does IE qualify as a modern browser? I don't think so, but it's okay. it's listed separately, and there's still okay. a lot of people who use it, right? Yeah, I guess there are. So uh, just to be clear, if you use Fetch, then you know you're not working in those. So another option would be Axios, which is a library. But this is why libraries exist, right? To fill some of these gaps in some ways. So so let's th- pause there for a second and say. Um, maybe we should make a distinction between these frameworks, which are really application development frameworks, and libraries that assist us. I mean, most people don't really have an objection to using a small uh, library to get data. They don't mind um, underscore or its derivatives. Things they, that focus on one little, distinct thing. You know, you know, a little assistance, something small that's helpful. I guess they wouldn't even mind if you used RxJS. Uh, <laughs> just to pull that, pull that one out. Um, but so, but your real point here is: Could I live without an application framework that's doing composing the views? Is that your yes? And as few libraries as possible. Okay, I'd deal. say. Like, I mean, if you didn't want to use Fetch, even you want to hit all the browsers, you could literally use XML HTTP request. You know, if you want to go old school. Yeah, you could. So th- there's ways to get there, but let's say we, we've we've chosen one of those to get our data. Now we're really just wanting to put it on the screen. Mm. So you've got to somehow take the UL that you create, and you're going to create a bunch of LIs in it, list items, for each hero. 
Uh, in the old jQuery days, which we're not using jQuery here, you would loop through the array and you would generate these uh, li tags and stick them in a template and throw them on the screen. You could do that. You could. And since we're not using jQuery, we're trying to use what's in the DOM. It's really the DOM API we're talking about here. The DOM API exposes a couple of features. And there's several ways to do this. Uh, probably the most basic way I could think of was you can literally just create an element inside of JavaScript and then append that element using the DOM to some parent element. So this feels a little bit like React Render. I mean, obviously you don't have virtual DOM and all that diffing and all that stuff, but it, so you're just going at the DOM directly, but you could do it. Yeah, I mean, you could literally just create an element, and there's a feature called Create Element, <laughs> which lets you do that. So you say document.createElement.ul, uh, and then you could take that UL as a variable in JavaScript, and you can add classes to it, you can add child elements to it, add text to it. And then when you're done, you could then append that element onto some parent element that's already in the DOM. So you kind of start with, you have to have something in the DOM already so you know where to put the stuff you're put, put at your building there, you know? Mm-hmm. If you've got a list of heroes or customers, you got to have a place to put this UL. So maybe a div somewhere, it's like a placeholder. And I started with this create element stuff, and I'm like, this is easy. You know, I'm going to do document.createElement. And then I'm like, I need to add classes. Then I discovered um, you can do element.classlist.add. Like, okay, that's easy. Right. And then I started going, okay, well, I want to create child elements. So then I had to create child elements, add their classes, and then do a pen child. And then I started adding text and content and other things. And before I knew it, a simple list item that had four elements in it to display was 30 lines of code in JavaScript. And yeah. it's very repetitive, obviously, too. And, and I'll bet it's not easy to read to see what the heck it's doing. What is oh, it? Oh, heck no. It is not. I mean, you just look at it and you say, wait a minute, I'm adding all these class, I'm adding pieces, and then it's nesting. I assume it's nesting, because I, I, I'm just imagining this yep. in my head as you're talking, because I don't have any code that looks like this. Um, but I would think it would be both tedious and uh, to write and a nightmare to read. It is, and like I'm looking back at it now, weeks later after I wrote it, just a couple weeks, and it's very uniform, meaning I wrote it straight down our list, but it's creating nested elements, and it's not nested indented-wise, so it's kind of hard to read. Uh, and even at the end, I had to make decisions about, okay, once I have this UL with the list items in it, I need to put it in the DOM. And at first, I was just appending it. But the problem there is, what happens when I have to refresh that list? Yeah. So I ended up, there's a couple ways to go about this. I ended up doing with the very crude technique I did was a replace with. So on the parent element, I basically replace whatever is inside of it with this new UL, uh, which is not very efficient, quite frankly. But for my small set of data, you know, we're not talking 10,000 rows, we were talking 10, um, there was no performance issues whatsoever. Now I'm, I, I happen to be looking at some code here, and I noticed that you're adding event listeners. I am because somebody's got a click, or is, you you want it to respond to user act, uh, behavior, right? Yeah, and there's no ng click, and there's no v click, or <laughs> well, not only that, but I don't see you unhooking any of these things. Uh, probably not in the code you're looking at there. Yeah, but yes. Right. Um, so, but that would be easy for somebody to forget to do, right? They because um, what happens multi page app, sure. You know what? Well, even if you were adding and removing list items, every time you do, each list item would have 
an event listener on in case they clicked it? Is that how you worked it? Or did you try and hit it at a higher level? How did you handle that? So in mine, the list items didn't have clicks in them. But you're right, if you had list items that each one had to be clicked, then those event listeners would be added to each one. And then subsequently, when it gets wiped away, if you did destroy them, as you said, you'd have to remove those uh, and re-add new ones. So you'd have to manage all those events yourself. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Oh, that's, that sounds peachy <laughs> to me. Uh, uh, you know, hey, score another point for Chris Love, right? Uh, it's easy. <laughs> I yeah. bet he writes helpers. I don't. I mean, oh yeah, that, of that's course the interesting thing. So, so if you're a vanilla JavaScripter, you you might say, I uh, I want to create a whole library of utilities to help me write this stuff. I guess you would have done that. Most people I've seen who try and do this with vanilla JavaScript write helper functions. Yeah, and it, I'm putting notes in there to some of the stuff talking about like add event listener. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company, and you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue, but they're all going to need a grid, and it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework grid makes sense to you, you should certainly go over there uh, and check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com and tell them Warden John sent you. But yeah, eventually, kind of jumping ahead to some of the story, as you're saying, I created, um, and I have very limited stuff going on here, I created a small little file called dom.ts. And in my dom.ts, I've got some little helpers like, Something commonly I did was grab an element and stick text in it. Oh, I'm looking at that now. You're right. I, I'm just guessing, by the way. I mean, I'm looking at this code for the first time as you're talking to me. Yeah, and that was on purpose as we recorded this, so you can, we can get real reactions here. Like, I have a set text and a get text function, which I pass an element or a document fragment, and I either set the text or I get it out. Mm-hmm. Um, creating a div, for example. Every time I created a div, I was always adding classes to it for CSS. Mm-hmm. So I created a helper to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even some more complicated stuff. And this isn't complicated, but you know, like uh, cloning elements from templates, which we should talk about a little. Oh, bit. Oh yeah, what's a template? I'm sorry, I missed that part. So uh, let's say we wanted to create a um, a list of items on the screen, which is what we're talking about here. And with that list of items, we find ourselves constantly, you know, having to do all that create div stuff to create the UL, the LIs, and all the divs and things inside of it. Wouldn't it be easier just to write the HTML, store it in a file, and just say, well, give be, me that? It would, be, it would be tempting. I mean, that's kind of what you you do if you're writing an Angular view. Um, I don't think you do that if you're writing in React. Yeah, not necessarily, but like you could even consider the render functions. Uh, mm-hmm. In the render functions with JSX or TSX, I mean, you're effectively writing your HTML right there. Yeah, you're writing a template in line. Yeah. Nobody in their 
I'll just say it. I'll be opinionated. Nobody in the right mind wants to write, create div this, create div that. Let's add the class. And right, right. Once I did that and wrote 30, 40 lines for a single template, I was like, I'm going to go write this in HTML and find a way to go grab that template and pull it in with one line of code. How did that work? So I went down a couple of roads because first I thought, I want to stick these templates in another file and go get them. Yeah. And I immediately ran into there is nothing baked in to JavaScript in the DOM that will elegantly let you just refer to another file and pull a template in unless you want to write your own little function that uses like XML HTTP request. Um, Require.js will do it for you. Uh, you can use a lot of APIs to do it in libraries. Um, but And there was even a feature in, in Google Chrome for a while that would allow you to do it, and they've either since yanked it or about to yank it. But in the end, what I found is there's a feature in the DOM which allows you to refer to a template tag. So in HTML, there's a template tag. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what I did is I wrote a little helper function, and what this function does is you tell it the name of the template, so you give it an ID, and you use document.getElementById for that name, um, and then I just do document.import node. That's the API, and then I give it the name of I give it that template's content. So basically, the template content is detached from the DOM, and then I import it into the document, and it creates a clone of that template. Hmm. And then once you have that clone, then you can like set the text and change, you know, stick the values in where you want them to be. Right. You just modify properties of it. Yeah. And then the final step is you've got the clone. Uh, think of it like you know external DOM stuff. It's still floating somewhere. It's not attached to anything. Uh, but now you can just append it to a child somewhere in, inside the DOM. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I grabbed the UL with the LIs as a template, and there were placeholders for the actual values for everything. And then I imported that into the DOM, went through and the array and inserted all the values in, and then I appended it to the uh, uh, to a div. And the total amount of code was about seven lines of code to do that. So significantly easier than the 40 and much more reusable. Yeah, except the consequences that your index.html has to have all of your templates. Yeah, for right now, um, I only had three templates, I think, and they're all inside the index.html page. Now, granted, this was for a small one-page app where I just yeah, yeah, perfectly for your demo because yeah. you're trying to you're trying to teach how to use TypeScript without prejudicing somebody by picking or like that know. marketing example. Yeah, 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 the marketing example. But um, once you have twenty of these, yeah, this is not the way it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, that's when you'd be like, why do I have to put all these templates inside the same page? Couldn't I make requests? And it does make them easy to find. It does. It certainly does. Let's put all our code in one file, and it'll we'll know where it is. <laughs> so we've talked about quite a bit there. Like we talked about templates and, and how we can grab the stuff and the DOM APIs and the ones I use the most. Ward, I was kind of looking through here as we were talking. Create element, get element by ID, query selector, append child. Um, they're the ones that come up most. There's a couple others I used, you know, once or twice, but. I, re- I use those four repeatedly throughout all of my code to kind of build this up. And I probably only used maybe 10 DOM APIs total. That was kind of the upside here. There really wasn't a lot of DOM to learn. And what did you have to do to build this thing? You have a Webpack config. So, so like, what, what are the, what, you know, if I wanted this, if I ha- was the beneficiary of your 
GitHub repo? What would I do to run it? So, um, and one thing we forgot before we tell you what to run it with is that even without TypeScript, because I separated my JavaScript out in separate files, I still wanted to have one bundle mm-hmm. and you know, minify it, all that kind of stuff. So, Webpack helped there. Um, if we look at the package JSON, there's a script, and I have two scripts that are important. One is dev start, which is going to build it on the fly in memory with Webpack. And then when I'm ready to go production, there's just uh, npm run build, which uh, uses Webpack to basically build a production bundle and sticks it in a folder for you. Yeah, that simple Webpack config um, you described. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for you to see that one. <laughs> yeah, I just decided to open that up. That's, uh, you know, it's 73 lines. That's, a, that's the hello world of Webpack. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, and it, this probably took me four hours to figure out, to be honest, just to figure out what do I need. Um, something I'd like to hit on with this too, though, is there's there's a lot of problems with this. You pointed out like the template problem right there, right? What do you do? Um, how do you build it? Well, I had to pull in something to do the bundles because I wanted bundles, and I'm not willing to give that up. Uh, so I pulled that in. I actually chose to use Axios for my fetching, just so I didn't have to deal with what supports fetch and what doesn't. Uh, so that's a very targeted library that I chose. Uh, and then the only other thing I, I use, I actually read a second version of this app just to see how it was. There's a tiny little library called Lit HTML, and it's L-I-T HTML. And what it does is it allows you to basically create templates in a much easier way. And for me, this was this was nicer because then I could, if you go look at, um, and I'll, I'll show people the example this, uh, in the show notes. If you go look at the lit HTML example, there are no templates in the HTML page. Uh, this actually allowed me to create templates using a JSX style inside the JavaScript, which I found pretty elegant, personally, uh, especially over what I was doing previously to this. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. How do you feel about JSX, Ford? Well, you know, that it gets philosophical. <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, if you like the React style of constructing the view from fragments of HTML and from pieces of JavaScript, um, then you're going to want something like JSX to make it easy to write the HTML part of that that gets soldered together. So... I, um, I I think JSX is just fine, honestly. Yeah, I think if you're talking, you know, let's say Angular versus React, you're looking at HTML 
files for your templates versus JSX or TSX, which is puts the HTML inside of your your code. Um, six of one, half dozen of the other to me. But if you're talking what we've been doing with vanilla JavaScript, now we're looking at we have our HTML piling up in templates in our index HTML, or we could actually just put the HTML and write it like we normally would, but yet inside of a template string. Yeah, and that's what you're doing with Lit. You're using Lit to help you with that. Yes. Oh, that is cool. We should actually put that fragment. We should put that fragment of Lit in your. Uh, in yeah, and I think what I'll do is so I'll people some, can read it. I'll put some it's got pointers a, right yeah. to the GitHub to those pieces. Right. And boy, if that doesn't look exactly like JSX, it does. I mean, you just basically you say return, and then there's keyword HTML, and then right after that, you just put a template uh, string. Right, the back tick, mm-hmm. and you just put your HTML and indent it, and all and that. You fun use stuff. curly braces just as you would in uh, React to uh, escape out to get some local JavaScript. Exactly, and to me, this was a heck of a lot better solution than embedding templates inside of the HTML. And but then you go back to this isn't vanilla JavaScript, John. <laughs> I'm using a library called Lit HTML, but yeah. Yeah, I kind of like in lit HTML too. Remember the days of handlebars and mustache? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's its uh, substitution. Yeah. Uh, now, was this an npm package that you had installed for developers? Or yeah, it's an npm package that you can go grab, and I'll put a yeah, link to an article I wrote on that. I'm looking at your package, Jason, because that tells us what you know. In, did you how much how much did you cheat? So my, your my runtime. There's four things in my package, Jason. There's uh, two of them are font awesome's icons. Yep. Uh, third one is Axios, which I've already mm-hmm. confessed to. And then for the first app with just vanilla, that's all I needed. But the second app, which I used lit HTML, um, I also have lit HTML as a package which I download. Okay, I see Promisify. I don't know. Um, yeah, you're looking package. at a different project there. Sorry. Aha. Yes. Aha. See, <laughs> it's like I'm reading a different book. Yes, you are reading a different book. Uh, and I'll put this up there. So I have a very trimmed down version of this app, which uh, we'll go on GitHub for the show. Uh, I wanted to release it after we talked about this. And uh, let me go ahead and put the show notes. There's an article I wrote on lit HTML. It was funny as I started tweeting about lit HTML, and the folks who created this started chiming in and talking about it. And um, I really liked it. I mean, I've heard about it for a while, but I never really found a reason to use it. Uh, and if you check this article out, it's it's really cool uh, to our listeners. It's basically just templating. It solves the problem of how do you render templates in an efficient way to the browser. Now, words you brought up as we were first starting to talk about this. How do you handle safe HTML? You want to talk about yeah, what that yeah. means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, one of the real risks of um, writing your vanilla. JS app is as you start taking values and um, plugging them into HTML, uh, the question becomes, where did you get those values from and are they safe? Like if you were getting something out of a database or something out of the user typed into an input box, that could easily have um, some JavaScript in it that would execute on the client and that would be a big no-no. So so all of the frameworks sanitize um, uh, anything that, that, that it plugs into HTML. And if you were just writing without any help, you would have to remember to do that yourself every time. So what did you do? Does Lit take care of that? Well, in the vanilla JavaScript I did, nothing takes care of it. So you would have to do it yourself or find something, a library that did it, which again makes you go, well, at what point do I start filling these gaps mm-hmm. that I just go 
grab a view or React or Angular, right? Or Svelte, for that matter. Uh, with HTML, I have to go look here real quick to see. I believe it does handle sanitization of the templates, but I have to go look on the docs, and I'll put a link into there in the show notes. Right, because we want to have dynamic values, and as long as you have dynamic values, you've got to make sure that they're safe to inject. Otherwise, um, you are opening the gates. So stepping back for a second, though, John, I'm thinking about in your original proposition, you wanted to talk about something, and you didn't want to... to you, you, you wanted to make it sort of application framework free so that nobody got distracted by that. Yep. And you also want to make the code really easy to read so that nobody would have to learn anything in order to understand what you were doing. Yes. And that became a problem. Think, right. So Axios qualifies because it's just it's an obvious uh, simplification of making HTTP requests. And what you showed me about Lit, uh, which they will see when they look at it, that feels pretty, that doesn't seem to require a lot of explanation either. Nope. I knew what you were doing just by looking. Of course, I've used a little, <laughs> I've used these things before in React and stuff, but but it doesn't require a lot of explanation. So I think you're still meeting the criteria you set for yourself, which is that maybe you use a little helper library here and then, but it doesn't require a lot of explanation. Yeah, and it became like here's how my my demos started working. The top of my file was generally a lot of go get this element and connect these event listeners to it, you know, some, with some helpers. Now I'd put a bunch of those up top. And then usually I'd have like a render function. I just call it render because that seems to be the convention. Mm-hmm. My render function in my main page would effectively, you know, show a message, a progress bar, go get some data, you know, and then once that data was back, using a callback promise or async await, whatever you want, uh, it would then then defer to some DOM utility that would write, that would go and would grab the templates, put them together, and attach them to the DOM. So for the most part, it was, it was pretty straightforward. And by creating helper functions, I believe the code became readable. But without the helper functions... Oh, it'd be impossible. It, it was... I started questioning my own <laughs> decisions. Your sanity there, yeah. Okay, uh, by the way, we, you know, what, what if we... What have we? I'm trying to sort of see how far have we gotten down the road here, um, in terms of what a real application would do. Not very um, far, quite frankly. No. Like one of the big questions was, what happens if you want to make a menu that actually serves multiple pages, like routing, oh client side routing? Okay, you going to write your own router in vanilla? Heck no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I started going down that road and thinking about it, and I found some examples out there that were maybe 100 to 200 lines of code, very simple routers. And I'm like, you know, I just feel like this was complexity I didn't need. And if I really was going to do it, I would just pull in one of the routers from one of the frameworks and, frankly, use something in Vue or Angular or React to do that. You know, the last thing I wanted to mention on this, though, and we're not talking about a lot of stuff intentionally because this is talking about very small, simple apps, was I wanted to see how I could create a modal dialog in a vanilla JavaScript. Now, anybody who's created a modal dialog before, you know there's a couple of key pieces you need some CSS to make sure you like black out the rest of the screen and everything else. Uh, you need to have some HTML, obviously. And um, also, you need to somehow wait for a response from the user before you take an action. So you kind of have to write your own promise or async await or callback inside of the modal. Right. Um, and there's de- it's definitely, I was able to put one together that I thought looked relatively decent uh, on the site, but it immediately stuck out to me when I did this. I'm like, wow, 
if I was using any of those other frameworks, I would have just been like importing a modal dialogue from one of their famous UI tools and <laughs> one line of code and it would have been done. Yeah. But for me, I think my modal was, uh, it was 37 lines of code to put together and then probably another 50 lines of CSS. And uh, I don't know if it's worth it overall, really, to be honest with you. Well, at least what you've done is, you know, I, I mean, it's, Let's see. And how, how flexible is it? What do I do with the modal? I, I pass it the text I want to have it display, and it does yes, no? I mean, is it that kind of? Yep. Or is a, it, can I be anything? Uh, by default, you just it? pass it yes or no, but it's a two-button modal dialogue, and then uh, when you click a button, it tells you which button you clicked. Got it. That's it. Yeah. So. Well, but again, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's actually not hard to read, so good job on that. Uh, I would certainly wouldn't have gone out and bought, you know, if this was as far as I was trying to take it, being the vanilla JS guy that I now am, I would not have gone out and bought a or or taken on a big component library just to get a modal. Right, right. Yeah, when you really look at the total output of this whole thing, uh, and you look at the bundle file that gets created. Yeah, what was the bundle size? There, and I'm building right now to kind of see where it is. The entire thing is only, I'm looking here, it's like four JavaScript files in total. So there's just not a lot there to deal with. Uh, and I'm trying to get a count of lines in here, but it's obviously bundled, so it's kind of hard to tell. But you can get the payload size. I can. Ah, and it's not building right now. That's fantastic. That's what they get for rebuilding everything. So I will put that up in the show notes as well to see where it is. And of course, everybody can check out the GitHub repo once I push this up to GitHub. I'm guessing it's under 2K, though. I'm betting. I'm betting it's under 2K. It's got to be. I mean, my total lines of HTML just by eye count here are less than 200. And it's certainly less than 2 meg, so good on that. Yeah, and then you really think about it, <laughs> j- just pulling in Axios, Yeah, that's not a big deal. So, I Oh, yeah, yeah, Axios could have been. I guess Axios uh, could have uh, bumped your, your size a little. Yeah, anything could. Yeah. So... Uh, so, Ward, we're not telling people they have to go this route or, you know, drop your frameworks or... But I got to tell you, I learned a lot. It really refreshed my memory about what the DOM can do. And in some ways, I was impressed with some of the new features. And in other ways, I was very, very much more grateful that I have tools like React and Angular and Vue out there these days. Yeah. And you know what happens, John, though? Uh, just a, This is another point we should bring up. Um, if, if you're working on your own little project like this, this is great. But as soon as you had a team, suddenly they have to learn... How you assemble it, what your DOM, you know, what your utility library does, and that begins to grow. Is it because you're mostly doing display, not taking user input? So surely that's going to grow. And before you know it, you build a mini framework that is undocumented. Yeah, it's the Ward Bell framework. Yeah, it is. It's the. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I just suddenly built a, I've got credit for it. Uh, I just built a project. By the way, I was able to get there. I had the wrong version of Node installed, and let's see how big the files are. Drum roll. Drum roll. All right, Bundle.js is 225K, and I'll bet you most of that is because of uh, Axios getting pulled into it. 225K? Yeah. I can can write it, I think, even Angular. Absolutely. So let's let's remove Axios and see what happens. (laughs) We're going to try this again, because... I'm going back to writing my own XHHTML. I mean, if you're going to write your own model, you might as well write, and you're only doing gets, you might as well write your own little utility for getting the HTML. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So if you pull some of those things out, that I was actually with lit HTML and Axios both in it there. Oh, so lit has a runtime component as well. Well, it has to. It's got to do yeah. the if it does the injection yeah. protection. So obviously, it depends on what you're doing there. And this is not minified or anything. It was just put together into a bundle. But yeah, yeah, minification yeah. would have cut it down. But the question is, you know, what do you really want to put in your code? And the minute you put a library in there. You're adding to the bundle size, which I almost say, you know, today you're going to things will minify down to you know 30k or 10k or whatever for something like this. You think your fonts did anything? You think that might have also contributed? Yes, the fonts also contributed. Yeah, because we have those in there too. So it's sneaky. It's sneaky the way these um, things grow, and you didn't really go bother to configure Webpack to do tree shaking or no, not at all. I just basically took it as it was, did what I needed, and let it move along. But the point of this is that you can definitely reduce what you need. And by pulling out, like, let's say I didn't want to use uh, Font Awesome, reduces a lot right there. Let's say I don't want to pull in any CSS frameworks, um, you can reduce some there. You don't want to pull in Axios, just use Fetch API. That will reduce some. So there's definitely options here. It really depends on what are your goals. Mm -hmm. My goal was not to be a purist. It was to, as I mentioned, get, in the one case, a small app on a page, which in that app, when I built and actually deployed, it was actually only 10K. Um, and that one, I didn't use Axios or anything. And the other one was to go through TypeScript, which was to really just remove frameworks from the conversation so people didn't think, mm, oh, I don't know Angular. I don't want to look at that. Or I don't know React. I don't want to look at that. Very interesting, John. You also tried various strategies for composing these components. You did something that was sort of template style where it, I'm looking at the code and it sort of looks like it's plugging that. You have one style here where you go look for things and then you plug values into it. Yep. Uh, and then you have the lit style where you let it do the plugging. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Um, the lit style was kind of a second iteration on it to see where it goes. I definitely wouldn't mix and match. Right. Um, the lit style, what it was looking like, sort of re that really reminded me of React style of re composing yeah. things. Uh, so, it, so it sounds like if you were going vanilla, you'd end up coding in a style that was much closer to the way React approaches the world, syntactically at least. Yeah, I think you would. And if I was going to write a small app, I would very much consider lit HTML to do this, um, partially for the scrubbing and sanitizing of the HTML too. Just for that and alone, it's, it's kind of nice. And I did find a, a couple of utilities that LitHTML has for safe HTML uh, while we were talking. Hmm. So in the end, what was the lesson we learned, Ward? Is this something everybody should do, dump all their frameworks and go write JavaScript into vanilla? Uh, well, I, I certainly... <laughs> you didn't convince me that. <laughs> Nor was it the intention. <laughs> but it is, it is kind of... Um, you know, every once in a while, you, you, do, you want to kick yourself because you get into these frameworks and you say... Oh, this is, it just feels like madness. I don't care what framework you pick up. Yeah. Eventually, you, you feel handcuffed to it. And you just you start to wonder, what is this thing really doing anything for me? And when you go through the exercise you just went through, um, it reminds you just how much help you're getting from a framework. Yeah, and if you, uh, for all everyone listening out there, if you look at the article, which is the first link in the show notes, on vanilla JavaScript uh, up on dev.to, I walked through kind of how I built this and the steps that I went through, a lot of what we talked about today. And right in the middle of this article, there's a section called Rendering in the Heroes with the DOM API. And you'll see the 30 lines of code it took to create the UL uh, without templates. 
And you'll see why I was motivated to get away from that <laughs> and then instead use a template, which is just HTML. Yeah. So our libraries are doing stuff for us. Certainly are. are. Hey, Ward, it was uh, fun talking to you about this today. And I know it wasn't a deep topic, but uh, I think it's always good for us to look back on where we came from. Oh, it's Don't a you? good refresher. This is Real Talk JavaScript. With it. it is. Hey, and everybody, uh, thanks for joining us for this special episode. This is episode 66, and if you're a Star Wars fan, it's like Order 66, which I know Ward <sighs> just absolutely loves when we reference Star Wars. So, oh, But if you're a, a U.S. history buff, buff, then you're thinking Route 66. Route 66. Which is where I get my kicks. Um, 66. <laughs> and I'll put a link in the show notes to this as well, since Ward uh, likes to read up on Star Wars. So. <sighs> Thank you all for coming, and we'll see you next time every Tuesday morning. Thanks for listening to Real Talk JavaScript. This show and all of our shows are available at www.realtalkjs.com with links and notes. John and Ward would love to hear what you think, especially about potential guests and topics for future shows. Follow and send them a message on Twitter at RealTalkJS. 